everyone to I So Appreciate You, a raw, funny, and uniquely insightful podcast about the issues and opportunities we all face as values-based leaders and humans. I'm Nadej. And I'm Melanie. We're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, and we're friends. When we get together, our conversations can go anywhere, especially when bringing a friend or two along for the ride. So we're inviting you to join us and some incredible guests as we explore the challenges and triumphs of people shaking up our community for the better. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of I So Appreciate You. And today we're talking about intentional leadership transitions with Jamie Millard of Pollen. I know I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, but I, it's been making me think, right? We're like in this phase of transitions, right? Yes. The great resignation, yes. blah, 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 people doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so there's another transitional phrase that's sort of like big right now. I'm seeing it all over the place. Quiet quitting. Ah, yes. Quiet quitting. Okay. Tell me why. You, tell me why you don't like it. Let's break this down. <laughs> I have so many feelings about this phrase. Okay, but we probably face, yeah. we should probably define it though. Yes. Right. And so I, um, it's it's basically like doing the not going above and beyond the scope of your job, like doing the specific, like the nine to five, the forty hours, like of your job, not doing anything more than that. Is that yeah, how I, you understand I, it? I, I think that is yes. Okay. Almost like re- rebelling, right, in your workplace. Yes, right. And I've seen like some of these Instagram accounts I follow, like some of the right. HR ones, like people doing little videos about it and and talking about it, like recommending it to people that that's what they should do. This is the dumbest phrase I have ever heard in my life because, first of all, it's not quitting. Nobody has quit. The fact that we have a culture that suggests that we should all be overworking our jobs and literally sort of getting to the core of your job is somehow a failure and an exit strategy. Are you kidding me? That's not quite quitting. That's just like reprioritizing your freaking life. Good. I wanted to understand what this is bringing out in you. So in other words, you're saying quiet quitting is actually saying, no, I'm going to actually do my job. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to make this a healthy work environment. And I think not a lot of people, given how um, frequent and, and big this is right now, have that luxury. Like they are in jobs where they're being asked to do way more than is reasonable. Yeah. Yep. And the fact yep. that it's being talked about, like now, you know, I'm I'm looking at a, an article from the Boston Globe mm-hmm. and, you know, workers only doing as much as they're paid for. And oh, I love that. Right. And and there are some people talking about this like this is a negative. Are your employees quiet quitting? Like, OK, stop it with the doom and gloom. Are you overworking your employees? Right. Right. Are, I mean, have they been working for free, quote unquote, doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't be doing? Yes. Digging into this a little bit, I was doing some research and um, I think a lot of times this can be a gendered thing because women are asked or expected to sort of put contribute more, clean up the kitchen after an event, just like give, 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 give. And so I also think it's important to acknowledge that this notion of quiet quitting, and I'm, I'm taking your point in a little bit of a different direction, Nadej, but in some situations, there are people that are in positions where they can limit their jobs. And there are other people that are under sort of a microscope 
<laughs> women, people of color, like that it's harder to just say, hey, no, I'm gonna set a boundary here and this is important to me. So I think we have to sort of recognize that too. Yeah. That not a lot of cultures are healthy in that way. I 100% agree with that because even in this piece, they talk about it's time to lower expectations. I don't even like that mm -hmm. framing because it's not lowering expectations. It's right-sizing expectations. Right. They, to your point, there are people who are being expected to do things that are beyond the scope of the of the of the job or you know adding things because you know part of this great resignation if yes. coworker x leaves coworker y maybe got like all of their job yes. and that's it they didn't get anything else just all of that work and so i just i i love that people are really thinking about their work and where they can sort of setting boundaries and reprioritizing, I hate that it's being labeled as quitting because it's not quitting. Well, we're going to be talking to Jamie, who's a narrative change expert. And, you know, at her job at Pollen, they work on narrative change. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It's like, okay, this is a real thing. People are setting boundaries, but quiet quitting is actually putting a negative spin or connotation on people just actually saying, no, I'm not doing that. Anymore. Shit, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I just it's it's so fascinating right now. I feel like they're like business cycles where right. we talk about different things. And right now the cycle is all about transitions. It's it's about people leaving. It's about people quitting. It's about people not wanting to do um you know what they're what you know more than right. they need to be doing. And I just I find it so fascinating that, you know, we've come out of we've come out of COVID, we've come out of this and people are really asserting the wholeness of themselves and trying to reclaim. They're trying to reclaim their time. Yes. Right. Because that's what they're doing. I, I think I think it's also important to acknowledge where we work. Yep. We I think the organization has been very intentional about saying, hey, we're going to we're going to understand what people are doing, how we can support them. We have. Um, We've made it permanent now where we have sort of half day Fridays, just acknowledging that people, if they have the opportunity, they can take that time and space for themselves. It's hard, though. It's hard as individuals because there's so much work to do. It's hard as team leaders. It's hard right. as individual contributors. There's a lot of work. And so I think that even though we, you know, like we're on the same page, we need to we need to be sure that there's um, balance and boundaries. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Even so, in an intentional organization. I, yeah. So I think, you know, I'm on a crusade to try to rename this phrase, what? although it's too late because it's all it? over the place. But like, no. we got to work on this. Like, it is not quiet quitting. It's it like lack brilliance right now. All like, right, I gonna... lack brilliance. But maybe we'll come back later this season with the like brilliant. Oh, like, yeah, let's do that. Revisionist. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to be on TikTok. That's what we need to do. Take this no. to TikTok. <laughs> oh, come on. We're, as the marketing team, we have to investigate new channels. So, yeah. I don't know about any of that. So I'm going to cut this off before you take us totally in a different direction. <laughs> and you, you know, volunteer us to do some extra things so that I have to quite oh, quit right. from no. it later. Oh, my gosh. It's quite quitting on me. <laughs> um, and so when we come back, we're going to be joined by Jamie Millard, Executive Director of Pollen, to talk about um, intentional leadership transitions.
The Facing Race Awards is an initiative of the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation that recognizes anti-racism activists in Minnesota who challenge absent and harmful narratives on race, build solutions that unite instead of divide, and push for justice and equity. Join us this year as we celebrate four incredible Minnesotans with a special broadcast airing on Twin Cities Public Television this October. To learn more, visit facingrace.org. Welcome back, everyone. We are super excited to kick off today with our special guest, Jamie Millard. Jamie, Nadej and I have been waiting for this day for a long time. We're so excited for the interview and we might need a couple of hours. So with that said, how are you doing today? Thank you, Melanie. I'm doing well, and I am equally very excited to be here and agree we might need a few hours. Okay. All right. All right. Audience, listen in, because we're going to be here for a while. Buckle up, be, get some popcorn. That's right. Buckle yeah. up. Yeah. Get your notebook. <laughs> exactly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great episode. But before we jump in, just want to let our listeners know a tiny bit about you. We're going to dig in uh, more, of course, throughout this episode. But you are the executive director of Pollen. And Pollen is a media and arts nonprofit that does some pretty cool and beautiful storytelling focused on narrative change. Um, in your tenure at Pollen, you've literally taken it from sort of a baby to this really thriving organization. And we're very excited to learn a little bit more about Pollen. I also want to say that you're an incredible thought leader and influencer in term of, terms of workplace culture. I know that I brought your name up several times thinking about like, hey, can we try this? Jamie's doing it. <laughs> and finally, I must mention, and anyone who follows you on social media knows that you literally have the most beautiful children in the world. They are really special little beings. So thank you for being with us here today. We're super excited to, to chat with you. Oh, thank you, Melanie. I'm glad this is a podcast so everybody can't see me blushing. Aww. That was a beautiful <laughs> intro. Thank you. All right. Well, before we dive right in, I, I know you've listened to our podcast, yeah. so you know we have to do the three quick questions. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Cider or hot chocolate? Oh, cider. Okay. Yeah. That was definitive. You know, well, there's already so much sweets in my house because of the three girls that like, yeah, give me my cider. Hard cider, preferably. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Hiking or sitting by the fire? That's a, okay. I Both. Um, hike first and then like go sit by the fire. Okay. 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 We'll if I had it. to pick, we'll take it. Hiking. Okay. But with friends so that it's still social. I love how you are like controlling the narrative. I'm sorry. On these answers. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. I can't it. help myself. All right. Here you go. Attend a party or host a party? Oh, definitely host a party. Okay. Oh, mm -hmm. all right. I mean, mm -hmm. the art of hosting and gathering and you can set the context and invite in and welcome. I love it. Oh, Excellent. maybe that's the next step after this podcast. Right. We're okay, coming okay. over. Okay, actually, I want to attend a party, but like help host it because oh. I don't want then you don't have to clean up. You don't have to clean ahead of time, yes. but I'll be I'm a great co-host. Excellent. Okay, good to know. Just making a note of that for future party planning. All right. So today we're going to talk about intentional leadership transitions. And, you know, I was thinking about just that phrase because we don't always have the time for an intentional leadership transition. Like typically, you know, maybe a retirement would happen and that's when it's, it's coming up, but you're not retiring from the workforce, but you are in the middle of an intentional uh, leadership transition. So I'd love to, I'd love to get from you sort of at the beginning, how did you know, or what made you decide that it was time 
for you to transition? Um, you know, I so agree what you're saying about oftentimes with leadership transition, you don't, you know, it just, it happens spontaneously mm-hmm. or without the planfulness that pollen has been gifted in our process, but you can always be intentionally fostering a culture of transition. You know, if you're a supervisor and you have a team, how are you always talking to your team about their growth and what they want next and that they might not always be at that organization? And so for yourself as the executive director or CEO or president or, you know, that top role, how are you also being honest with yourself that you might not always be in that role? The organization might not always need you in that role. And you can be intentionally building a culture that nurtures, and fosters transparent, healthy, healing, loving transition. And that's been Pollen's mindset uh, for a very long time, even from our founding. Lars Leafblad is our founder. When he transferred um, power of Pollen to uh, myself and Meg Lionel Murphy, he did so with just he modeled for me what transition can look like and how to gracefully um, hand over something so that the next era can take it to a catalytic place that you couldn't even possibly imagine. And so it's a just part of our culture as an organization. I think we're definitely going to dig into that a little bit more. But you used the phrase era. Mm-hmm. How did you know that it was time for the Jamie era to wind down? You know, I'd started this in 2019. I put on a board agenda like we need to like talk about succession planning. And uh, I knew because Pollen had itself been growing, I could just feel like I had baked in my strengths into the organization. And it felt like a relay race, like I've gotten it as far as I can get it. And I was, you know, I think of leadership transition as a staircase. And if you bake your strengths in, then the next person can take it to this next level. And it really is an embodied feeling for myself. Um, And I knew that our work was going in a way that was focusing more and more on narrative change, especially centered with racial justice as an approach and a methodology in the narrative change process. And myself um, as an expert in that and a passionate follower and believer in it. And I'm also aware of my positional power as a white woman leading the organization in a direction that I could feel in my body wasn't aligned with the values of lived experience reflection that the organization was practicing and modeling in all parts of our work. And knew the potential for the organization if we could align both a leader who has the expertise and nurturing power of narrative change and also the lived experience and commitment to racial justice um, within their own identity reflection. So that was like a, you know, a very beginning indicator that was like, this is what's right for the organization. And then in addition to that, there's also what's right for me personally. And I was ready to be I was ready to grow. I was ready to be uncomfortable. Um, Pollen is a dream job. I love Pollen. I love everything about it. It's creative. It's fulfilling the community. But I wanted to be challenged in really unexpected ways. And so I was, yeah, I was, I was just knew I was ready. I thought we would kick the process off. I I was actually researching for this podcast and found an old timeline and I had the transition kicking off in March of 2020. (laughs) Wow. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean and, to laugh, um, but so um, <laughs> that didn't happen, and uh, so yeah, Jamie, you so much 
of what you just said. Um, I'm, I'm writing down these words, uh, and one I wanted to just pick on for a second is this transparency. Because there, I think a lot of really big corporations, let's say, behind the scenes, they're planning and plotting and, and thinking about their bottom line with that transition, but they're not always transparent about it. And what you've created or what Pollen as an organization is doing, and you said starting with, with Lars, it's like this transparent process. Can you talk just a little bit about how you got there with the culture and how you're doing that with this transition? Because I think that that's not always the case. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yes. And, you know, transparency is a uh, like an activity. You know, it, it's a value. But it's also an activity. And so when you think about traditional leadership transitions in any kind of sector, but also especially in the nonprofit sector, because they are so um, guided by the board of directors, there's often a lack of transparency because we think that it as it's a personnel activity that needs to pr be protected. And this then what's the staff experience in that process? And if you talk to any um, people who have been through big leadership transitions on staff, they say oftentimes things like this was like isolating. This was scary. I felt uncertain. It, it was an experience of harm that they go through. And so whenever we hear indicators of experiences of harm, it's our job to pause and say, why is it? Why is that happening that way? It does not have to. We don't have to go through a process that is going to cause people to feel more harm? How can a process actually nurture? How can a process heal? And transparency is one of the things that invites people in to feel included, to feel seen, to feel motivated and energized. And, and also staff have a really like incredible insights to add to the pro like they're there every day. Absolutely. They know Absolutely. the work better than anybody. They should, their point of view should be centered. So transparency, um, it's critical and it's even important. Like we're sharing about our process, you know, we're not done with the leadership transition yet. And we wanted to announce my leadership transition while we're in the thick of it so that we can share so that we can then also not only model transparency internally, but also externally so that we can invite community in and we can um, be part of a, a healing for the organization. So much transition is connected around disconnection, right. loss. Um, and how can leadership transition instead be about nurturing, um, healing, and deepening connection? And I just bookmark one thing you said about the, it's, you're also doing storytelling through this process. Right? I mean, yep. you, you've produced already beautiful content. You shared with the community what you're going through. And I do think it's, it's allowing for a learning moment for other organizations to follow this because I think sometimes people have in their mind, they want to be intentional, but there's self-preservation too that often comes up. And so this is, this is a way you can do it, both you know, honoring yourself and your journey, but also the organization. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to not make content. It's pollen. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're going to exactly. tell a story. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're doing, and You're doing your thing. there's so much to share here. Um, and I think it's really important for me in our sharing. It's important to our team that, you know, this whole time we've been trying to analyze how do we not follow best practice, but how do we follow what's best for pollen? And that's something that's a quote from Damon Scholholm, our vice chair, um, who analyzed, who started to see this pattern, you know, that we challenge 
we question best practice to do what's best for pollen. And I don't want any of this sharing to come off as a new best practice. That's not what we're saying. This is what worked for us and how we were able to listen to our felt senses to discover what's best for us and how can you and your organization listen to yourself to find a way that's best for you and your organization's values. I'd love to have you lift up maybe in the process, you know, where were some moments of, you know, tension or or just, you know, challenging growth? Yeah. You know, I think there's been so much tension actually in our process, which to me is always a sign of really healthy uh, org culture, because then you have a you have you, you can tell you have a safe space where people feel a sense of belonging and safety if they can voice. Hey, this isn't this doesn't seem right, you know, and um, we definitely have that at Pollen. And we started off where we are now is very different than where we started because we started in a place where I think a lot of organizations start, especially nonprofits. We had a um, our staff being pollen, we went in and we we're like, this is going to be a, we're going to do this in a different way. No one's ever done this before. We're going to do a staff led process and the board can be a part of it. The, bo- the board can have some input. And the board said, uh, this is going to be a board led process and we will have a lot of staff input. And we had to say, oh, hold up. We are actually not aligned. And it caught all of us by surprise because Pollen is an organization where if we're going to be dismantling harmful narratives in our work, then we're constantly trying to dismantle harmful narratives internally, culturally as an organization. And we thought that this would just be easy. And um, so we had to go through, I mean, pretty much all of 2020, the end of 2020, early 2021, I mean, we've been doing this for over two years, this process. And so it was getting aligned and building trust between, and we already started from a place of high trust between staff and board, but um, we had to recognize that we were not aligned. We had to recognize that there's uh, different opinions, um, that there's different point of views, that there is tension. And... We had to work through that and we had to get to a place of shared values. And once we got to that place, once we were able to say like, whoa, we actually really do agree on these values, then we started to like move pretty quickly and we started to design a system that um, worked for everybody. And one of the tactical things that we did was we created, and this isn't revolutionary, but we created a working group, a leadership transition working group that was made up of four staff members and three board members. And we agreed that that body would hold the decision making and the responsibility of a shared collaborative effort. All staff would come to board meetings. And so, um, you know, there was some parts of the process where the staff would know a decision before the board. And then there were some parts of the process where the board knew a decision before the staff. And so it was but it was rooted in trust, um, but it was difficult to get there. And it took a lot of honest, hard conversations. Um, and I'm so grateful that like we went through that process of having to get aligned because it made it, I think on the back end, so much more powerful and so much more inclusive and engaging actually for all of the staff and the board members that you're talking about um, really as a nonprofit leader and an organization getting alignment with with your board. And I think a lot of 
nonprofit leaders have that challenge sometimes of how to really optimize working with their board. And so, I, and that's of course another podcast that we could talk about, but I'm, I just want to- A whole other podcast. A whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> but what I'm hearing, and I just want to pull this out as kind of a key learning, is it's that maybe uncomfortable, but honest conversations and not just letting letting it go. Like yeah. you are having those tough challenges. You're, you're bringing up- where you're maybe on different pages and you're working through it together. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, you have to um, say, you have to look at all the assumptions. We carry so many assumptions into any kind of process. And so we had to put all of those assumptions on the table and start pulling the threads. And so one of those assumptions that some people had really strong in their head at the beginning of this was the bylaws say that a board hires and fires the ED, the end. This is a board process. This is a board decision. And here I'm thinking, this is pollen. We don't care about yeah. the bylaws. <laughs> well, also, why do people forget that you can amend the yeah, bylaws? You can amend I'd, the bylaws. I'd like the lawyer in me is like sort of like, come on, folks. It's not carved in stone. I mean, <laughs> I was just, I laugh at it almost because like, I'm like, do you know where those bylaws came from? I Googled them. <laughs> I Googled a template and recommend, like, I'm like, this is not to come from, like, Mount Bylaw, you know, this not, and so. Although it does feel like it, though. It does, yeah. it can, and, you know, and it, they are, you know, they are important, and so um, to be able to say, like, okay, that does mm-hmm. say that. Why? Who wrote that? With what intention was designing that? And how do we open ourselves up to be able to pull that thread and imagine a different way? And, you know, the board had a transformative process because and the board members really had to work the board through this. It wasn't something that I even I was trying hard one on one conversations with the board doing what an ED does. The board had to do board to board work. And, you know, we had board members saying, look, Pollen is a narrative change organization. They're about imagining a new way. We ourselves must then imagine a new way in all of our, it shows up in every little tiny process and practice, and it needs to also show up in this leadership transition. So we can't be beholden to the status quo. Right. You know, I, what you're saying is so fascinating, and I know you prefaced it at the top that, you know, this isn't intended to be best practices, but I think people will hear this and think, how can I do this in my organization? It's not probably practical in an organization with hundreds of people and, you know, a board of 50 or 60 or 70 people on top of that to, to go through the process that that you all are going through and have gone through. But there are probably nuggets of that that can be translated. I mean, could you imagine how you might sit this on a different type of organization? Yeah. And, you know, even though we have this transparent process, I've been thinking about, you know, what have been some of these aspects of it that are scalable or applicable to non-pollen-like organizations? And this working group, that's a very common thing. You know, there's a, all, you know, search committees that our board and staff make up. I think the process of creating that body and having, I mean, rest of the team had to fully say, like, I trust, I am empowering that group to actually make this decision. And they really did. And board members abdicated their own power making to that body and to say, like, we really trust the recommendations that are coming from this group. And then we did, you know, a lot of we do oversharing, probably like, I mean, too much sharing internally as an organization where, first of all, anyone's invited to those meetings. So there, that's the group. If you want to come be a fly on the wall. 
you can come sit in. Oh, great. If you're an intern, you can come sit in. Um, and so you can, you know, not even just sit in, you can join in. But this is going to be the, t- the team that's there every month working on this. Um, and then we share out lots of, oh my gosh, I was talking with another friend, Anika Ward, about this change management process and how we share the change constantly. So we are making capacity to work on this change as an organization. And part of that is sharing out. So when you think about a large scale organization, how are you using communications to foster trust and to create connection and to inform everybody at all the different steps along the way? When you're so focused on the work, you lose sight of how other people are actually quite curious as to what's going on and how much they do need to hear and how they want to hear maybe all the little things that are happening. And so you can over communicate. And that's a good thing, especially when you're going through change management. Now, as I was describing this to Anika, she was like, wait, are you not using change management as a euphemism here for like something bad? And I was like, no, no, like this has been a really healing process and a, and a connecting process for our team. Um, and I think the other thing that can make this really applicable and scalable, I had another person tell me that you can't communicate your way through organizational change no. because it's hard and it's painful. And we even went through an org restructuring as part of this leadership transition. And so... Making space, I always try and ask people, like, what are you scared of in this? What's, what, what are you afraid of that's go- in this change that we're going through? And providing that question to anybody at any seat within the organization has been one of the best ways for me to create a two-way dialogue that helps inform me. Knowing what people are afraid of and what they're scared of in a transition is some of the best information and in how you can like iteratively shape and improve your process. So it's not just about updates. It's about also you getting updated and how the team is feeling, how their bodies are holding the uncertainty and making sure that they have space to share about their fears. There's a lot in this process that we're talking about, which is investing people in the process. And I'm curious about the process itself, since it sounds like this started, this is like a two-year unfolding, you're getting the right team, you have this committee. Is there anything um, different about the actual recruitment, interviewing, decision-making process that you're going through in terms of that technical selection um, of the the new person? Yes, you know, I mean, um, there's probably so many different (laughs) things I could go into. You know, I will say that a guiding principle in this process has been about investing in our current team. And so when that is a guiding principle for a leadership transition, it changes and informs so many decisions and activities. Um, You know, it made it so that we first looked at, um, okay, before we spend all this time, you know, imagine yourself, you're on staff and you're all these conversations about this next leader and like, oh, then who do we want and where are we going? And you're thinking, I'm pretty great. Like, not that like, even like, not even like that you want the job, but you're just like, I've been building this org. I've been part of this building this organization. You know, you spend so much time about this like other person. Right. And so before we went there, we really looked at, and Sarah Klein, our current board chair, really encouraged this to like invest in your team now. So we restructured the organization to make sure that we had um, promotions and uh, key leadership positions that we were um, 
just, you know, before you, you, you invest in salary promotion usually for the next executive director between, but before that, let's invest in the salaries of our current team. Um, so just making sure that people are feeling appreciated and recognized for everything that has come in the past. Transitions are often so much about looking at the future. And so we wanted to invest in our team that has gotten us here. And, um, and then I think we've also brought that mindset to even thinking about the actual tangible parts of you know, the search. And so we wanted to, you know, and I think this thinking for pollen started in, you know, in 2016, like long time ago, like this wasn't even part of the, you know, it's not the kind of thing that has been part of our transition thinking necessarily. This idea of investing in your current team is just so strong. What I really love about what you're saying and, and the process is, Actually, let me back up. You know, at the top, when you talked about why why it was time for you to transition, you named that, you know, it might be time for a person of color to be in this role. And one of the things I know from conversations with friends and, and things like that is sometimes people of color, I'm just going to name it, black women, sometimes black women show up in these jobs as a new leader and they're unsupported. They're kind of thrown to the the wolves. Staff has no connection because they weren't a part of the process. And it's almost like they're literally set up for failure. Um, and, you know, people power through it sometimes and sometimes they don't. But there's a lot of emotional labor. There's a lot of work outside the work. Pahu and I talked about this last season. I was going to say, put in that plug. <laughs> right, the right? yeah. I was if, taking yeah. notes. Yeah. If you haven't heard that episode, yeah. go back to it. There's a lot of work outside the work. And it feels like what you have set up is a space for a new person to like begin to lead in, in a very, um, I don't want to say safe space, like a, you know, hokey term, but like they have the tools around them and the staff is ready for them and the board is ready for them. And so it's like a path towards success instead of like setting up all the barriers. Oh my, I mean, it's just, it's fundamentally critical to, and I don't think we're explicit about this enough. You know, I think, um, a lot of, especially in the transition between white executive director, founding white executive director to the next leader being a leader of color, which is a, you know, a goal that a lot of these transition uh, processes have throughout the sector. But we're not explicitly even talking about the implications of that. Um, I've got a great resource here for the audience called the Trading Glass Ceilings for the Glass Cliff, a race to lead report on nonprofit executives of color. And it outlines the catastrophic impacts of the transition going from a white predecessor to a leader of color when the organizations are unprepared and aren't focused on the setting that leader up for success. And it begins so much further than before the transition. What is the, what are the direct reports um, identities look like? What does the organization's commitment to justice look like? So often, actually, one of the interesting facts in this report is when an organization does prioritize um, wanting to recruit specifically a leader of color for the top role, it's coming from an issue, a problem of justice festering in the organization. And it's unstated that they're hoping that this new leader will just boop, bibbity bobbity boop, like be able to solve magically fix it. Like this one person will come in and be able to wipe out the years because the problem is never new. It's it's always festering. And so somehow one person on their own We'll just get to do it. But like, I think we all practically know that's not how it works. No. And who 
wants that? Who wants that to be part of? You're you're starting the role. You want to make relationships and get to know the staff, and you you're figuring out a whole new. thing. I mean, thing. I feel like there should be casualty pay for that. Like oh, if you're absolutely. bringing somebody in, you're like, so here's your comp, but also. Yes. P.S. Yeah. Here's the disaster back here. Here's yeah. your disaster pay yes. for that. What disaster pay? That's exactly what is needed. And you know, and here's I've got I got some more stats for you. Look at um, you. I know. You're more I love my. I know. Look at this. I research. love my. I love my stats. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about too in this transition, especially in this aspect of it, is not only calling it a transition of power, but a transfer of trust. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you think so, there, in this report, I was just talking about when a a new a new white leader comes in they report saying they feel like they they have 90% of the board trust them immediately and then for a leader of color coming into that role they report 70% feel like yeah i've got the board's trust that's a really wide gap yeah it is of trust building that's needing to happen and so what can we do to design a process that um, is just setting that up for Success, you know, setting that person up for success. Um, and it starts, like I said, way before the transition, and it needs to be factored in to all sorts of decisions, even within the leadership transition. So oftentimes organizations report that DEI efforts are, they have a DEI effort plan, but there's not a specific layer of that that applies to how they are approaching a leadership transition process. They just have that as an outcome goal, but it's not changing any of the activities or methodology that they are going through in the transition. So this is a great report and I really recommend, especially for any of the white executive directors out there that are listening, that are thinking about their own transition or boards that are responsible Mm -hmm. for a transition, how they are honestly having these candid conversations as a team about um, what they need to start doing now and what um, what are the implications um, that that next executive director um, CEO would be experiencing. We could we probably keep going for days here. I, I feel like once you all wrap up this process, this is the beginning of like your own little like moments where you get to break it down like bit by bit. <laughs> We do have to wrap up. I mean, we get to that point. I know, I know. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you one last question. And normally I sort of let people kind of wrap up the theme, but I'm going to, I'm going to punt. What is bringing you joy right now? Because this work is not small work. And like, where do you find those moments of just joy? Oh, I love that. I've been, um, I have so much joy in this process, which it's probably just obvious since I can, I talk about this with a huge smile. Um, I'm a person who thrives off of being in relation with other people and being in deep, authentic, meaningful connection. And when you think of a leadership transition as um, growing and not loss, it is an incredible exercise of connection. And so I get to be, I feel more connected with my staff than I've ever felt with my, I feel much more connected to the board than I've ever felt. I get to talk to, I've been surrounding myself with other executive directors. I got a whole gaggle of us who have been through (laughs) the good, the bad and the ugly of leadership transition and hearing from them and their stories and this collective learning that we're doing together to try and make this 
aspect of leadership transition more nurturing and healing than harmful. It has brought me great joy to be surrounded by um, all these amazing people who are also have those same ambitions. So even being here today with like this kind of is very joy giving for me. So thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. I was going to say, you've given us much right. joy. You're very, this, just the thoughtful process and you as a human, Jamie. So thank you for being here. Wow. There is so much to unpack there. And I know we say this with a lot of episodes, like we could keep talking for hours, but I honestly feel like there are books here. Yes, she didn't disappoint. I mean, we knew that this was going to be a good conversation and it was actually very painful to cut it off. So so there's (laughs) a lot to boil down. What stood out to you? So I think for me that it's one of the simplest things. Um, her reference to best practices, like I kind of want to have a slogan like F best practices because she's right. You should be doing what is best for your organization. Best practices are a model that might give you some ideas and suggestions. But at the end of the day, why are you following a generic rule book when you have critical real time live people, knowledge, information and resources at your fingertips right within your organization. Well, Nadege, I'm, I wrote that down too. It really stood out to me. And I think partially because I don't know how many times I've Googled, what's the best practice for this? I mean, seriously, <laughs> like what's the standard operating procedure? And today it, it sort of liberated me in a way to hear her talk about that because I think, yeah, there's, there's, she was citing resources. Like she's drawing upon knowledge and we do that. I think we all do that. But I think you have to challenge those because where are those best practices rooted? Oftentimes in white supremacy, because that's what a lot of stuff is rooted in, as we know. So it's, it's really good to sort of deconstruct best practices. So that was definitely a high point for me. And there's so many nuggets, I think, for organizations, organizational leaders. And the other one that I wrote down was this notion of transferring trust. Yes. You're transferring power, but you're transferring trust. And if you don't do those together, right. especially with leaders of color that are going into new positions, you're not doing the organization or the person justice. Yeah. There's just, I really hope people sort of dig into this one and take from it what speaks to them. And I know we're going to share a bunch of resources, but it is really important to, to think critically and strategically and uh, like I want to say emotionally and not in some like, you know, whatever way about how you make transitions, not just at the top leadership level, but like across the board for like key roles and all of this. I think it's applicable to so many organizations, no matter the size, no matter the role. Agreed. And just one more point. I also think for individuals, I mean, Jamie shared not as much about her personal journey, but it has to start with an individual saying, you know what? This, I'm not growing anymore, so what am I going to do about it? Right. And um, a lot of people, I think, maybe slink around, try to feel it out. But if we create cultures of transparency, I think we could really nurture ourselves and others as, as we move on. Yeah, change canon is a beautiful thing sometimes. It's the only thing we can count on, as the cliche says. <laughs> Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to write us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or topic suggestion? 
email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.